TorahCafe.com. Does God love you? Why is this so important and why does this have a greater impact on our lives than we often realize? Because it's similar to a computer. When you turn on your computer, you have certain programs that automatically start up once your computer comes on and they run in the background. They are running in the background even though you may not be using them. And in fact, you can choose which programs start up when you turn your computer on, as you may know. What these, what happens, and the reason why we would want to choose to have certain programs not running is because these programs eat up a lot of memory and they slow down our computer, the operation of our computer. We are very similar. Every single one of us runs through our day with conscious thoughts and conscious feelings and conscious awareness. But there's a lot, there are many things running in the background in our unconscious. And those programs, so to speak, they have a very big impact on our conscious state without us fully being aware of it. And one of the most fundamental uh, programs, if you will, that we have running unconsciously in our background is the way we believe God feels about us. The, does God like us? Is God happy with us? Does God accept me? I'm a very imperfect person. What does God feel about me? Does God love me? That's the question. And this has an enormous impact on what goes on in our life. Why is um, this so important? Because it affects so much of what we do without us often realizing it. You see, when we discuss religion, and we're going to, of course, discuss Judaism, we discuss Judaism, why did God give the Jewish people this religion, if you will, called Judaism? What was the purpose with it? There are actually two, there are actually two perspectives, widely accepted perspectives, as to what the point of a religion is. And you can observe that you can observe these perspectives more from the way people conduct themselves than from what they will say their perspective about Judaism is. One of them is that it's all about controlling us. It's about defining us, making sure we are working within a certain paradigm, within a certain structure, within a certain set of rules, and then we are good. We're controlled. We're behaving. And what this actually does to a person, this perspective of Judaism, what this perspective of Judaism does to a person is it makes a person smaller. It makes us smaller. Whenever a person is being controlled, the idea of control is to minimize, to, to restrain, to contain, which is all making the person smaller. And God, and, and then when we have this perspective as well, that God needs to control us, God is hardly satisfied with us. He's very hard, in fact, to satisfy. He's very judgmental, always trying to make sure we're in the box. Oh, I'm going to punish you if you do this. And we all know people who are exactly like this. This is the way they operate with people around them. They can be a boss, a parent, a friend. The way they um, operate with other people very often, or certain people is, they use a controlling mechanism, whatever mechanism they use, in order to contain the person. However, there's another perspective, and the other perspective is that Judaism is about bringing an enormous vision into realization. That's why God gave us a religion called Judaism, because we, 
are the ones who he is empowering to bring this mission to realization, which is an unbelievable empowerment that God is trusting us in this mission. What does that do to a person? That makes a person bigger. It makes a person so much bigger. It expands. It's like, wow, God's giving me this mission, which means I have the capability of doing this. God is entrusting me, which means he trusts me with this. That's an unbelievable thing. And now what it tells us is God's rooting for me. God wants me to realize this mission. God is very accepting of me. Otherwise, he wouldn't give me such an enormous mission. This is a very different feeling that a person is left with. One makes a person smaller. One expands the person enormously. These two perspectives. And here's an interesting thing. Many people are of the belief that, um, and this is a great mistake, but many people are of the belief that the way you get people to do things is by scaring them into doing things. Oh, if you do that, purgatory, you're going to get punished. You're going to be sidelined. Um, you're going to have to pay for it. Something bad's going to happen to you. God is not going to be happy with you. God's not going to like you. And in this way, we, imp- we, we, in the minds of certain people, we, they, they feel this actually empowers people to do the right thing. Um, but what it actually does is it locks us up. That's what it does. Because fear always locks up a person. Lack of trust that you need to threaten me in order to get me to do something minimizes me. It makes me smaller. Think about it for a minute. When you, when we have a relationship with someone which is a relationship of fear, right? If we have an option to get out of that relationship, we would run. We don't enjoy that relationship for one minute. And the only time a fear relationship works is when we are stuck in the relationship. So then we're stuck and we're scared, so we actually comply. Well, very, we're stuck in our relationship with God, that's for sure, right? And if someone convinces me that God is trying to twist my arm to get me to do things, I have this fear relationship, which I really don't want to be close to, but feel I have to be close to, because if not, it's going to be to my, it's going to be to my detriment. That does not bring out the most of a person. It brings out the least of a person. That's a relationship you begrudgingly engage in. And then, of course, there's the entirely different attitude. And that is that the way you motivate motivate people to do and to accomplish and to take on a mission and a responsibility is not by instilling them with fear, but by accepting them by demonstrating that we trust them. Because then the person has a very close relationship and a very desirable relationship with God. And they want to do, we want to do what our beloved would like for us to do. So it frees up our godly potential. Instead of minimizing us and locking us up, it actually gives us the freedom to say, yes, let me run with this. The fact that the infinite creator of the universe demonstrates so much trust in me is an unbelievable, an unbelievable thing. Um, And what we also know is that from all of God's creations, the only creation 
that God gave free choice to is to who? It's to the human being, not to any other creation. What does that say? That God values us in a certain respect more than any other creation because he gave us free choice. Because when you give someone free choice, you are empowering them and giving them the ability through free choice to make the right choice, which is an enormous accomplishment when you have free choice by making the right choice, as opposed to being an instinctive being, which is really just following the design that the person was created in. And God gave us repentance because God knows that we have weaknesses. He made us with weaknesses. And he says, I have only one question. And that is, are you moving in the right direction? And if you are, God says, I stand by your side and I applaud you. And when you don't, I stand by your side and wait for the moment that you're going to turn around and get back on to the right track. Because God is always embracing us in everything that we do. Now, our perspective, the perspective that we have, is generally influenced by two things. One thing is by our education. Nurture, if you will. By our nurture, the way we were nurtured. And if we were had an education about God, that God is out to get us, whether that was explicit or subtle, then we believe that God is a controlling God. God is a God I'm supposed to be in fear of. God is generally not happy with me. But it seems like God is not a not happy, period. And that God is always warning me that bad things are going to happen to me if I don't do exactly what God wants. That can be an education. There's another education, which is that God embraces me and God loves me and God accepts me and God applauds me and God supports me. And even when I have, uh, when I have faltered, which we all do, God knows that we will and God's there to help us as we get up and applaud us as we turn around and, and, and do the right thing again. There's a second thing that influences our perspective and that is nature, our personality. Some of us by nature are more loving people and it's easier for us to envision that God actually loves us. And some of us are by nature a more, a, a, a stricter person. And when we are a stricter person, a stricter personality, then we very often by nature don't have a harder time viewing the fact that God actually loves me and that God embraces me. But regardless of what it is that formed our perspective, we need to remember what the reality is and what the Torah teaches us in numerous places about the enormous love that God has for every single one of us. You know, very often we project on others the way we view things. So uh, it's, we naturally believe that, that people see the world the way we see it. We naturally think that people think of us the way we think of ourselves. There's a well-known uh, commentary on the story of the uh, twelve, uh, the twelve spies that Moshe sent to Israel to spy on the land of Israel before they were going to go and conquer it. Right? Then ten of the twelve spies came back. Uh, you may be familiar with the story. Ten of the twelve spies came back and they gave a negative report. They said, "There's no way we're going to be able to conquer the land of Israel." And they said they have giants there. 
And then they said these words. They said, We were in our eyes like grasshoppers, and so were we in their eyes like grasshoppers. And this is a very, this is a very unusual expression. They first said that we felt like grasshoppers and we were in their eyes. Because we were in our eyes like grasshoppers. That's how we felt and standing next to them. And we were in their eyes like grasshoppers. And the commentaries tell us a very profound, a very profound teaching here. That the reason why the Jewish people, the, 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 the ten, uh, these ten spies uh, out of the twelve felt like they were grasshoppers was because that's the way they felt about themselves. And they projected that on the giants. They were, they were sure that the giants, that these giant people that they saw in Israel, saw them as grasshoppers too, because that's the way they saw themselves. They were projecting onto the giants. Very often, the way we feel about God is a projection of the way we feel about ourselves. God's not happy with me because I am not happy with myself. And part of the remedy to this is for us to realize how much faith God has in us. How many days have we woken up? How many breaths have we breathed? How is how how from the trillions of cells that make up our body that they are all working in beautiful harmony, and that we are relatively healthy people, and that we can think with this unbelievable mechanism that scientists still can hardly understand, which is our brain and our mind, and that we have this magical soul element to us, which is is an intangible, which can't even be identified and grasped. This. God brings all together, day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute, because God has that much trust in us. And that's why we say when we wake up in the morning, I am thankful to you, to the living God, that you returned my soul to me, with compassion. And we conclude with these two words, Rabba emuna secha. Abundant is your trust. We tell this to God. God's trust in that He gives me my soul again, in, in its full sense, so that I can go through another day, demonstrates the enormous trust God has. Now let's think about it. Let's say we had a bad day or we did things that were very inappropriate the day before. And what is God doing? He's giving us our soul back. What does that say about what God thinks about us? Our need as a human being to be aware of the fact that we are accepted by another, but most significantly that we are accepted by God, who is the one who who absolutely accepts us, is so vitally important. Uh, um, every single person seeks to find at least one person in their life who will accept them as they are. That we should be accepted exactly as we are with all of our flaws and weaknesses. Just accept me for being a person who's doing my best. Because what that does for us is it frees us, it liberates us. And it gives us the ability, despite any of the hindrances that we have to deal with, to show up with our full being. To literally show up with our full being. And this is actually 
to be able to take on that which is our greatest fear. You know what our greatest fear is? Our unbelievable potential. What gives us the courage to take on our unbelievable potential which was endowed with us, which we're so scared of taking on. Because what's going to happen if it doesn't work out, if I make a mistake, and all of the different um, fears that we have. We, we, when we are in the environment of people who are accepting of us, we feel free to just be with our failures and with our weaknesses, to just be, to try to make the effort, and we accomplish in unbelievable ways. I want to share with you something fascinating that I heard from a doctor. Um, during his uh, senior year as a resident, he worked in the ICU, and he said something really unbelievably fascinating. So in ICU, obviously, people are very close to death very often, and um, people have heart failure, and they try and resuscitate um, these people. And um, the, 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 um, the percentage of success with resuscitating, pounding on the chest, pumping drugs into the person's, um, into the person's body um, is very, very low, especially people in ICU who, have, who, can, who can be suffering from multiple problems. So, there, so the, the percentage of people who are actually resuscitated and, and then come back um, is very, very low. Um, and, 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 and he explained how, you know, people in the ICU very often have been there for a little while. They've only interacted with people who are wearing gowns and rubber gloves. They haven't had any human contact. It's not a very, uh, a ver- a very pleasant and, if you will, even a human place. And unfortunately, we've, we've heard a lot about this during the, uh, you know, for, from people who were hospitalized uh, during, uh, from coronavirus, um, where they couldn't have any visitors. And everyone that came into them was, you know, was fully protected. And there was that lack of, of, of interaction. And um, he shared something very fascinating. He said, you know, we feel like uh, uh, the doctors, when they, can, when they can resuscitate someone and bring them back, they feel like a hero. You know, thank God we saved the life. We brought the guy back. He said, but you know something, something very strange is that um, he said, I found that when we brought people back, there was a very repetitive comment that people made once we brought them back. Here we're feeling like a tremendous hero and we bring them back and they tell us about this white light, which, you know, we've heard from many, many people, they experience this white light and a sense of expansion. You understand? In, in a death process, they're experiencing a, 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 um, a sense of expansion, which is a very important point, which I'm not going to focus on now, but that itself is very important to be aware of, of the soul being able to experience expansion when it is released from the body. And he said that what happened every time they brought, or almost every time they brought people back was that the doctor feels like a hero and the person says, why did you bring me back? That was the question that they always asked when they were brought back. Why? Why did you do that? As if they were telling the doctor you should not have done that, which is actually what they were telling the doctor. And he said there was one night that was actually um, very, very compelling because there were three people that night, which was highly unusual, that they resuscitated and were able to bring them back. And he said these three people varied greatly in who they were, the demographic they came from, etc. He said one person was an African-American a pastor. He had 200 people who had come to the hospital the day before to pray for him in the hospital. Um, that's what, that was one individual that they resuscitated that night and brought back. Another person that they brought back was a person who was ostracized by his community. He was dying from HIV. 
And a third person that they resuscitated that night was a kid, uh, just a, 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 um, a small kid. He had genetic defects, and he was simply, his skeleton was unable to actually um, support um, his body and his breathing. And it was collapsing. And he, they had resuscitated him also. And he said all three of them, three completely different types of people, all said the exact same thing. Why did you bring me back? And after they were, um, they, they, they had come back for a few hours and their loved ones may have come to see them, they, they, what they shared was that when I was in that space, I felt completely accepted for the first time in my life. That's what they all stated. That in the experience for them was acceptance. And that's why they asked, why did you bring me back? Because the safest, the most expansive, and the most empowering environment a person can have is an environment where they feel accepted, where they, where they feel embraced, where they feel loved, where they don't feel constantly judged. And the reality is, as our Hasidic masters uh, teach us over and over and over, um, and as we can learn in the, in the Tanya, the enormous love and acceptance that God has for us with all of the weaknesses that every single one of us suffers from is far beyond what we can imagine. Here's a fascinating thing. In 1960, there was a, um, a, a Hasidic Jew who went to, uh, wrote uh, to the Lubavitcher Rebbe um, right before the... Um, it would be, I guess, the ninth anniversary. Um, or it was actually the tenth anniversary of the Rebbe's leadership in 1960 um, on Yud Shvat. So he he wrote a letter to the Rebbe and asked the Rebbe a very interesting question. He said, "What is the mission of our generation?" This is one of the unique things that a Rebbe contributes to a particular generation in that he leads the generation in understanding what we need to focus on during our time. And this is what this uh, Chassid asked the Rebbe, and here's what the Rebbe answered. And from what the Rebbe answers, we can understand how the, what the Rebbe understood to be one of the fundamental challenges or problems that we deal with in our time. The Rebbe said um, that the main thing, and I'm reading the translation, um, the main thing is that even if a person fails and they fall to the lowest of the low, they fall to a very low place, he must rise up as if nothing happened and not be disappointed in himself and think, who am I and what am I? And to be sure that he is desirable like everyone else. And then the Rebbe added, on the contrary, he is even more desirable to God because he has transcended himself and his failure. By the fact that he gets back up after a failure and doesn't let that stop him from doing good the next day, that actually demonstrates that he's more beloved by God because he didn't let his failure stop him. The Rebbe understood and was really um, explaining to us um, through this response that our, one of our greatest weaknesses in our time is that we don't realize how much God embraces us despite anything we've done wrong. 
And on the contrary, God embraces us even more. Living in the time that we live, with the challenges that we have, and we fail, and despite our failures or our fall, our, our, our falling, our spiritual falling, we rise back up to do good the next day. Instead of letting our evil inclination convince us that we are worthless and God doesn't, doesn't love us, and therefore what we do is meaningless. God forbid. This is the perspective that the Baal Shem Tov brought to the Jewish world. This is what he wanted every single Jew to know. That God doesn't judge us based on how much Torah we know. God judges us based on whether we are moving in the right direction. There was once, once a group of college students that came to, um, um, to for a private audience um, to the Rebbe. And they told the Rebbe, look, Rabbi, we're not religious. Are we good Jews even though we're not religious? And the Rebbe said that imagine a ladder. And a ladder has six, imagine the ladder has 613 rungs corresponding to the 613 mitzvah. And there's a person on the 600th rung. Very impressive. There's a person who's on the 10th rung. The person on the 600th rung is stepping down to the 599th rung. And the person on the 10th rung is stepping up to the 11th rung. Who is higher? And he said, you know who's higher? The one who is going from the 10th to 11th. The one who's moving in the right direction. That's what, that is the single question we need to ask. And wherever we are on the ladder, God embraces us and God is so thrilled that we are moving up the ladder. That is what counts more than anything else. So I encourage you to work on deeply feeling God's love by thinking about and learning subjects, and, and they, are, they are replete in Hasidic texts, of how God embraces us and how God loves us and how God supports us through sin, and how every act that anyone may have done is always, a negative act is always redeemable. And the more we embrace this, the more we make up, wake up every day with a vibrancy, with a, with a spirit that feels free to express all of its potential, uninhibited by all of the fears and the stigmas um, that, we, that, we, that we may have had in the past. And in this way, we actually have a proper relationship from our perspective back to God. God, you love me. And when we are loved, we only want to love back. And every one of us doing this makes this world an an unbelievably powerful place. And together, we accumulatively will accomplish the mission that God put the Jewish people here on earth for and experience the coming of Mashiach.